Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. have time to go into it, but I, I will tell you, it has been a lot of fun getting to work with those guys and the church and, and just the whole body of believers. They're, they're some great dudes and it's a great group of people. So I'm excited to see about what God does with them and their church there. I think a lot of cool stuff is going to be happening in the future. But we um, continue in Hebrews. Um, we're kicking off Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Is Dale just wrote, uh, wrote, read to us, and so we're just diving in. If you remember, I kicked off the sermon series about five weeks ago, and, and we, we just started digging in, and we started just seeing how Jesus is supreme. That has been really the theme for the author from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to now. He just wants to see that Jesus is supreme. He rules over all things. He's higher than angels, even though for a little while, it says he became lower than angels, so that he may be, take on flesh die in our place, rise again. Like that has been the thrust of what this author has wanted his audience to hear and to see, to understand, but not just to hear it and to understand, but to really to take it in, to cling to it with everything that they are, to really grasp that. Corey, last week, he was able to break down that Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, meaning he paid the price for our sins. He took care of what was owed to God to satisfy his wrath because we are sinners and we could not earn that. And now Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is Lord. We've seen how Jesus himself is high priest over all things. He has fulfilled what all the Old Testament was pointing to. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. All the the rituals and ceremonies, the sacrificial system that the high priest would do, it's pointing that Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He's the founder of our salvation. That matters so much. And he's trying to drive that home because these people that he's writing to, they're on the verge of going back to Judaism. I mean, Christianity at this point, this was written somewhere between 60 and 70 AD. So Christianity at the most is about 30 to 35 years old. It's not like it's an established faith like we have today of 2,000 plus years. It is a new faith. They're getting persecuted. They're getting ridiculed. They're getting opposition every time they turn the corner. And as, as, as we know in our own culture, like it is not easy to live out the Christian faith. Just in the fact that we get made fun of or mocked or looked at as silly or whatever it may be, but they're getting murdered. They're getting hung on poles and lit on fire. I mean, this is for real persecution, not just ridiculed on social media persecution. And they're going to turn back, and he's telling, don't turn back. Don't do it. Hang in there. Like, here's why. Because Jesus is better, and they're, they're looking to their old faith at Judaism, and he wants to refute all the things that could draw them back in. Because like, maybe this is just easier. We, just, we had all these traditions. We just go back to that. And the reality is that they, if they drift away and they go back to the Judaism, it kind of leaves them in one or two spots because if they drift away, maybe eventually they would come back around. And I, and I really 
wholeheartedly believe that if they're, if they're truly born-again believers in Jesus, they've placed their faith in Jesus, even if they drift away, they will one day come back because they're his. And Scripture talks about that, that you'll know that they'll come back. If they don't come back, then they're probably not his. And that's the reality. If they drift away and they never come back, it's like that seed that Jesus talks about just fell on rocky soil, maybe started to sprout up, and then the sun and weeds choke it out. And that's what we have to think about today is like, What's drawing us away? What's drawing us away from following Jesus? What's drawing us away from being involved in his church, doing what he's called us to do? Because maybe there's something that's drawing you away right now. And if you drift away, you might be like, well, maybe one day I'll come back. If you never come back, I don't know your heart. I don't know your soul. That's between you and God. But there's a lot of scripture at point that maybe you never were a part of it. And so we have to look at this scripture and see who Jesus is even more because he's made this case in two chapters. And then he says, therefore, therefore, he's, he's not done making this case. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to know everything that came before it that that author is writing about because it's very important that we understand, hey, everything I've said correlates to what I'm getting ready to tell you. It really, really matters and you can't miss it. And so to understand it today and what he's trying to tell to his original audience and what he's what we can get from it, we're going to have three questions we're going to walk through. But our big idea for the day is this. How you see Jesus will influence how you see yourself and your life as a whole. How you view him, where you rank him in your life in a sense, how you view his importance, his sovereignty, his position, his glory, his holiness, his righteousness, how you see all that, it will affect how you see yourself. It will affect how you live out your life. I promise you it will impact everything. And so what we're going to do then is the first question we're going to ask in light of that big idea is how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? We always, with liturgy, we start off with God, with the call to worship, and then we, do, then we move to a call to confession. And, and that's so important because we always got to look at God first. We can never just jump to ourselves because we don't want to be self-centered. We want to be God-centered, Jesus-centered. But in this text here, he says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, he's wanting them to understand who they are, where they belong, and what they're supposed to be doing. It's so important that we don't miss that. It's all in correlation to who Jesus is, trust me, because he's saying, therefore, he's, always already, he's already started off with Jesus, and now he's moving to this to show them their position. So who do you see, or how do you see yourself? I would think that you're like me. You're probably your own worst critic. You'll pick at yourself nonstop. You think, well, I could do this better, and I should be saying this better. I could do this. I should not eat like this. I should work out more. I should read more. I should watch less TV. I should be a better dad, a better mom, a better whatever. You're always, like, critiquing yourself. And it's so important that we just stop and we understand that Jesus has got us in a whole different place than we'll ever see ourselves and then anyone else will ever see you because he sees us as holy. He says, therefore, holy brothers. That's how you should see yourself. But how many of us actually see ourselves as holy? I don't know that I really do. I don't know that I stop and ever think about that I'm holy. I mean, I understand the fact that Jesus has imputed his righteousness to me, meaning he's, his righteousness is now the same as my righteousness, that I'm covered my sins are wiped away. They're washed clean because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I get that. I get theoretically that Jesus 
has done all that needs to happen to, so that God sees me as holy, but do I really get that? Maybe, at times. I probably struggle. I know I struggle with it. So he writes, therefore, holy brothers. He's giving you all the stuff about who Jesus is, and he tells you, therefore, you're holy. So it matters how you see yourself because of who Jesus is. Because if you say, well, yeah, he wrote all that stuff, and then he says, therefore, holy brothers, and you're like, well, I'm not holy, then what you're saying is that Jesus isn't what he just said that he was. You're pushing against that and saying, no, I don't know about that. I don't know that Jesus really has done enough to make me holy. But he has. He's, we're sharing in his holiness. That doesn't negate how important our holiness is or minimize it because we're just sharing in it. It, solid, it solidifies it. It gives it a, a very firm foundation because if it was based off of anything we were doing. Our holiness would just be nothing. It just would go and blow away in the wind. But he's saying, no, it's, it's founded upon Jesus. So what does it mean to be holy? The Bible defines holy as something or someone that is separated, sanctified, and dedicated to serve and fulfill the will of God. It defines it as something as something or someone that is separated, sanctified, and dedicated to the will of God. This means that God considers you sacred, blameless, and pure for his use. That's how God considers you, pure, blameless, because he sees you through the lens of Jesus, but yet we sometimes don't see ourselves through the lens of Jesus. God is perfectly holy. He's set apart. And so when he has a people, which is us, he sets us apart so that we're holy, that we don't look like the rest of the world. We don't look like everything else. We are special. We are his. We belong to him. So then again, I ask you, do you see yourself that way? Do you believe in your heart that through the work of Jesus that you have been made holy? Because what happens is we sit here today and we'll say, yes, I believe wholeheartedly that God has saved me, that he died on the cross, he rose again. We're going to celebrate that in a whole bigger way, even though we celebrate the gospel every week here. Next week for Easter, we're going to celebrate that he is risen, and we'll believe that, we'll confess that. But then out of the other side of our mouth, we'll say, yeah, but I'm not holy. And what you're saying then is his work on the cross wasn't enough. If you're not holy, if you don't believe that you're holy, then you're saying, he didn't do enough to make me holy. He did enough to save me so I don't have to go to hell, but I don't know about the rest of it because I don't really feel holy. Well, I get it. I get it. I don't feel holy a lot of times either. I'm a mess. But yet I have to believe that Jesus has made me holy because the only way I can go before God is because I would be holy because he's not going to be in the presence of something that's unholy. And Jesus has provided that way, which we'll talk about. So then I'm asking you again, how do you see yourself? Because the reality is we're sitting here, and there's many of us in this room that we, we deal with past sins. Whatever that may be, it could be sexual sin, it could be dishonesty, it could be theft, it could be greed. You could have just an anger issue to the point of like Jesus, he says in Matthew uh, 6 and 7, like that it's a heart, it's not just a mind of actually doing it, and it's like a heart. So if we've been angry enough that we've wanted to kill someone, you're guilty of murder. So like there's a lot of us sitting in this room, we deal with a lot of anger, and that's how we see ourselves. We see ourselves as the sinner. This dirty, nasty sinner who no one should love, no one should care about, and why would anyone ever see me as holy? Because Jesus, that's it. You're right in, that, in all that. Why would anyone see anything good in me? They won't, apart from Jesus. 
And we have to understand that. We can't look at ourselves and sit here today and think of ourselves as, as the horrible sins that we have in our past and maybe even our present, current day right now. But we got to see ourselves in who Christ has called us to be and saved us to be, which is a holy brother. See, I grew up right here in Collinsville. Like, I've only not lived in Collinsville for four years of my life when my wife and I and kids, we moved away while I was a student pastor in southern Illinois. But where I grew up in Collinsville is called State Park. So for those of you who don't, aren't familiar with Collinsville, State Park is like the community in between the horse race track down Collinsville Road here to the Cahokia Indian Mounds. It's part of Collinsville, part of Collinsville School District, but it's outside the city limits. It's a um, more impoverished area of Collinsville. It's rough. Um, it's not the same as a lot of other parts of Collinsville. So when I went to school in Collinsville, the grade school back then was K through 6. Now it's K through 4th, and they have an intermediate school. But I'm old. So um, that was K through 6 back then. We went to Kreitner. And then at 7th grade, we would go up. So we always just went to school with just everyone else who lived in State Park. That was all that we had. It was just folks, kids from State Park. In 7th grade, though, we went to North Junior High. Some of you might remember North Junior High, right? T-Birds, Thunderbirds. Yeah, it was awesome. Yep, we got a couple there. Thank you, Doug. Um, so we were there. Now that's DIS Intermediate School for just 5th and 6th graders. But I remember getting to 7th grade. So excited, like, meet new people, get to see, like, more of Collinsville, no more than, like, the 60 kids who was in my class there in Kreitner. And I remember getting there in, like, this stigma like that instantly. You're from State Park. You're, you're poor. You're rough. You want to fight. You're racist. Like, that was the, that was the diagnosis that they, you automatically have. And, and in, in all reality, that stigma has followed me. And there's still, at times, or there's people who like to joke. Like, oh, you're from State Park. Da, da, da. Like, they make ignorant comments. But for me, like, I was none of those things. We weren't poor, but we definitely weren't rich. I wasn't racist. I'm not a fighter just to go and find a fight, but I'm not afraid of, to defend myself. I wasn't those things. I remember there was just so much stigma that came with it, and, and I tried to always fit in. Like, I never went without, like, having whatever clothes were in style. Seventh grade, you know what was in style for back then? Jinko jeans. Remember the huge Jinko jeans? I got one pair. My dad said, those things look stupid. You're getting one pair. That way you can't wear them too often. I don't know what I was thinking now, but hey, everything comes back in style, so watch. In like five years, people are going to be wearing Jinko jeans again. I'll be up here preaching in them. I doubt it. I'm joking. <laughs> that never happened. I realize I look back and see the ignorance of it now, but maybe my kids will be wearing them. Seventh grade, though, Jinko jeans, I fit in. I looked the part, right? Tommy Hilfiger in eighth grade and then Abercrombie and Hollister and all that stuff in high school. Like, I, I always dressed in nice clothes. I looked like everybody else, but yet that stigma never left. People just saw me differently because of where I lived, where I grew up. And then on March 30th of 2001, I started dating my last girlfriend who is now my wife. We've been together now with dating and being married, been together for over 22 years, more than half of our lives. And what was interesting is I started dating Emily. For one, I can't even believe she gave me her phone number to begin with, okay? Because as we were talking, and Aaron said that I left out a part, and I did. I didn't have time in the first service, but I'm going to go really quick. When I first met her, she was sitting outside the wrestling room, and she was at the trainer's office. She had a torn um, quad or hamstring, and she couldn't really go anywhere. She's stuck sitting there. I was like, hey, I'm, what's your name? She's like, I'm, I'm Emily. I was like, 
and my response wasn't, hey, I'm David. It was, do you know who I am? <laughs> and she's like, no. And I go, oh, everyone does. I figured you did. I was a jerk. I was a tool. I might, I might not have the stigma for me growing up in State Park that wasn't matching. Me being an arrogant little punk, that was matching for sure. But um, so I introduced myself, talked to her, and I'd asked her for her phone number. She didn't give me her phone number. And so, like, the conversation was kind of winding down. I was like, okay, I got to, like, move on with life. And so I was like, are you going to give me your phone number or what? She did. I don't know why. I do now. It's God's sovereignty that we would be married. Thank God for God's sovereignty because I was not smooth enough to get her number on my own. But we started dating on March 30th, and I remember just always spending hours on the phone. That was back, like, when, you know, you didn't have cell phones, and my mom or dad would, like, get on the line, get off the phone. We need the phone. But I remember telling her, like, where I lived, and she's like, oh, where's that? She had no reference of State Park. She came to my house. She didn't care where it was located. We had a decent house, nothing magnificent or fancy or by any means. It was a small, good house. Like, it's where we lived. It was fine. And even to the point, like, when we got married, we bought that house from my parents and lived there. And she, she's like, yeah, I don't care. I live here. This is fine. It's great. You know, like, the reason I'm telling you all this is, like, she saw me for me. Now, think about a perfect God and how he sees you through the lens of Jesus. My wife, she's a fallen sinner, just like everyone else in this room. And so if she can look at me and see me for who I am, how much more can a perfect God look at you and say, man, they're, they're my son or daughter adopted through what Jesus has done. And yet, we'll be like me, and we'll carry this weight of trying to prove people wrong your whole life. Or just accepting what other people see, and then just living in that. Well, yeah. I'm a horrible sinner with all these past sins because Satan just keeps whispering, so I might as well just stay in it. I'm just going to sit in that. I'm just going to be that because that's how everyone else sees me. And yet the only person that really matters the way they see you is they see you as holy. And the reality of it is, is that there's a lot of things that we want in life, but there's some things I think that we all would desire. None of us want to be marked with shame and, and just like a feeling of guilt, right? Well, right out the gate, he's saying you're holy, so you don't have to be marked by shame. He's telling you that you're brothers, and that's not to, like, to, to be distinct of a gender. It's, it's a distinction of family, that you're brought into the family of God. He's saying, no, you're, you're family, your sons, your daughters, your co-heirs of Christ. You've been adopted in by God the Father. So now you have belonging, because we all desire to belong. There's not a person in this room that doesn't want to feel like you belong somewhere with somebody. And then we all want purpose, and well, he gives us a purpose. We have a heavenly calling. He says, you who share in a heavenly calling. I mean, that's how we should see ourselves, is holy, belonging in the family of God with a purpose in our lives to go and to glorify him and to make him known. There's not a better way to see ourselves. So I want you to, to really, today, as we just process through this passage, do you see yourself that way? And I think if you do, it's because of how you see Jesus. And so the next question is, how do you see Jesus? The author, he's already addressed so, addressed so much about who Jesus is, but he doesn't want them to miss it. He wants to keep driving this point home because, again, how we see Jesus will dictate how we see ourselves. It really will make a difference. And so these are good Jewish people. They've now 
hopefully really put their faith in, in Jesus and are trying to follow him, but they're, they're getting drawn back. And so he's hit on angels and other things and talked about all that, the high priest, all things that would click and connect in their heads. And now he gets in this thing about Moses because he says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So you have to understand who Moses is. And so we're going to just do a little bit of Bible lesson here. So Moses, he was born to a Hebrew woman. And during the time that this was, he was born, the Pharaoh was trying to murder all the Jewish babies that are born. He wants them gone. Very similar to when Jesus was born, right? Like you have uh, Pharaoh then trying or yeah, Pharaoh, man, my brain's going, not Pharaoh. Herod, thank you. Two services, and I have not had enough caffeine yet. So, yeah, Herod's trying to kill all the babies. Very similar, right? But So Moses' mom puts him in a basket, sends him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, and she's like, oh, I'm gonna, this must be a Hebrew baby. I'm going to keep him. I'm going to raise him and keep him safe. So her servant's like, well, who, who should I go get to nurse him and go find a Hebrew woman? Guess who they find? Moses' mom. She gets to raise her own kid in the palace. There, like they don't know the connection, but he grows up just in royalty, basically. And then he sees an Egyptian uh, like person beating on one of his brothers, his Jewish brothers. He knows who he is, and so he kills this Egyptian, and he flees from Egypt. But then God calls Moses back to come and to rescue all of his people the whole nation of Israel, to lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. So much happens during that time. The Ten Commandments is given to Moses. He leads his people through the Red Sea as God parts the Red Sea. So Moses plays such an important part in the Jewish faith. And they would look to him and elevate him because of all that he did. And there's so much more that I could break down, but for the sake of time, we just got to stop there. But it's so important to see that verse 5 says, now Moses was faithful in, God's, in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. The things that would be spoken later is Jesus. And so when I ask you the question, how do you see Jesus? That's what he's trying to get at here to his, author, to his audience is how do you see Jesus? You can't see him as equal with Moses because everything Moses did was just pointing back or pointing to Jesus, to come. I mean, taking people out of slavery, Jesus takes us out of slavery of sin. Leading people to the edge of the promised land, he doesn't get them in. Jesus leads us right into the promised land of eternity to be with him for for all time. The law that Moses presents from God, Jesus perfectly fulfills the law. Sacrificial systems get instituted, Jesus perfectly fulfills all of them. The author here is not saying that Moses did anything wrong. Moses is a sinner just like us. But what he's saying is that Jesus perfectly fulfills everything that Moses was about. Because Moses was about the Messiah. And do you see Jesus that way? Do you understand that when we come here today, the the songs, the communion, the preaching... The, the people in the sound booth, the people backstage doing Facebook Live, the people making coffee, the, the security, the safety, the kids, all of it is to point you to Jesus. 
None of this is about anything else but that. And if we start to do any of it for any other reason, then we're not seeing Jesus properly. And so how we see Jesus matters. If we see him as the most magnificent, supreme, ultimate thing, who is holy, righteous, just mind-blowingly good, then we understand where this guy is going, this author who we don't even know who he is, but he's saying, listen, Moses was good, but the house itself has more honor. Like, he's the house. He's everything. Like, God is the builder of all things. And yeah, Moses was faithful, but Jesus, it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Like, he's wanting us to understand how important Jesus is. Because when we fully understand how important Jesus is, the idea of getting that we're holy and that we're adopted in as brothers and sisters and we have a heavenly calling from him, that's not so hard to grasp. But if we have this low view of who Jesus is and we think that we're just doing these things because of whatever reason we want, then we've messed up our view of who Jesus is. There's been this theme running since week one of the sermon series that we can sometimes see Jesus as Lord but not Savior or Savior but not Lord. We get guilty of that. And so when we see ourselves as not holy, what we're really saying is we don't see Jesus as perfect and powerful as he really is. You're doubting. You're saying, no, what he did on the cross wasn't enough. So then you're saying he's not Savior. You're saying, I've got to do some stuff to be good enough. I'm going to be Lord. I'm going to decide what the rules are that I need to follow. And then church doesn't become about Jesus. It becomes about you and your church attendance. I haven't missed 52 Sundays. Only one I missed was 51. That was, you know, our, our only one I missed was just one. So I was there 51 Sundays out of 52. I did everything I was supposed to do. I tithed. I was at the, the foundations class. I was at the missional community. I didn't miss a thing. So? Have you really put your faith in Jesus? Have you seen him as the ultimate supreme over all things? Because that's who he is. That's who he is. We have to see him, that he is the answer to all that we have. We have two problems, one that we need to hear from God and one that we need to go to God. And we have a lot of other problems, but those are two primary ones. And so when the author here says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, and I apologize, I'm jumping around here, but this is the way my points landed for the week. So we're back there at verse one. He says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. It's, again, solidifying who Jesus is because we need a word from God. An apostle is someone who is sent from God to speak a word to a group of people and to establish a work. That's who Jesus was. He is the ultimate apostle. He is sent by God to come and to be God himself in the flesh, which is the perfect word that we could ever need. He is the word made flesh. And then we need a way to God, so he is the high priest because he makes that sacrificial system fulfilled. By going to the cross himself and being the ultimate sacrifice. He provides the word that we need from God. He provides the way to God that we need. He is everything. It's so, so important that we get that. Because if we miss that, then what we'll do is we'll elevate other things above Jesus. Picture with me like a a two-story house, okay? And... If this is how you view your faith or church in general, this is what's going to happen. Let's just say you're coming to Heights because of a person or a personality 
That'd be like me, Corey, Jeff, like someone who's on stage. Like I really, I'm there because I love the preaching and I love the the music. That's that's really my main reason I'm there. Okay, so there's personality. Maybe you're here because of people. Some friends invited you, which is awesome that your friends invite you. These are all good things; they're not bad. So you have some friends who invite you, and I go to Heights because my friends are here, and I and I love that. Or I really like missional community, and so you're here because of a program. Because ultimately, though missional community is very, very biblical, it is a program in a sense of our church, though we're not a program-driven church. Maybe you're here because of a place. I mean, we've grown a ton since we moved out of that old building with eight-foot ceilings and moved into here. There's been a lot of new people, which is amazing. We're blessed that God sees fit to send any of you here. But when one of those things change, a personality, a program, your friends leave, or the building changes, you might go. That's not enough. I don't know if I want to be there anymore. So that's like a lower room person in the church. You're here for the lower room. But in the upper room is Jesus. You're here because of Jesus. And so if I die today... And someone else is up here, Corey leaves, and he's not here, and there's someone new who's preaching. You're not like, I'm out. I like those guys. I don't want to listen to someone else. If they're up here and they're still preaching Jesus, they're still pointing you to Jesus, they're still talking about the mission, which is to connect people to the family of God, there's no reason to leave. Your missional community multiplies, and you're not with the same people that you used to be with, and you're like, well, I don't like this. I'm going to leave. The building changes. There's people who didn't come with us because of the building. Happens. There's people that may be here just because of the building. We have to be here because of Jesus. And if you don't see him as supreme, you're, you're going to be here because of one of those other four things. And then what happens is that translates over to your own life. Someone offends you. Some person offends you. Missional community goes wrong pastor says something from the pulpit that offends you, which I guarantee you I will do before long. I promise you stick around long enough, I'm going to make you mad. That's just bound to happen. Then you see, Brian knows. Then you just leave the faith altogether. You're like, I'm out. I'm tired of this stuff. This is not working for me because you're missing that it's about Jesus. And he's one of them. See, yeah, opposition's here. There's a lot of persecution on you. This is hard. But look at who Jesus is. He's bigger than Moses. Don't leave. Everything has to point to Jesus. If one of you won the lottery and you got like this really cool house and you were able to afford a butler, and I'm just going to picture like Alfred from Batman because I love Batman, all right? So I go and I knock on your door and here comes Alfred and he's at the door and he's like, hey, we were expecting you. Glad to see you. Let me take you to, I'm going to pick on Brian because Brian said earlier that I preach and I saw him about offending people. So he's going to take me to Brian. I'm at the Bastilla Estates now. You know, I've knocked on the door, and I'm, I'm glad that Alfred has answered the door. I'm excited that he did it. I didn't want to wait outside in the cold, in the rain. I wanted to be able to come in. But ultimately, I am there to see Brian. And that servant, Alfred, he's taking me to the owner of the house. He's pointing me in that direction of where I'm supposed to go. So for me, for you, if you serve here, Everything that we do, it's all meant to point you to the owner of the house, which is Jesus. That's it. Do we see Jesus that way? Do we really see him? Do we understand that he's higher? They, he, Moses was their stumbling block. 
It's obviously not our stumbling block. You're not sitting here getting hung up on Moses. Maybe, but I'd love to talk to you because I'd want to know more about why. But, like, really, your stumbling block is something else. You're looking at something else to be what Jesus is supposed to be. We have to make sure that we see him for all that he is because then we see ourselves as having worth. We see ourselves as being holy and righteous and all those things because we understand that it's given to us through who Jesus is. Which then, if we could see him for all that he is, then it leads us to our last question. Have you considered Jesus? We go back up to verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. He's given us all the reasons why we should. And I think our first inclination would be like, well, I'll consider Jesus I considered Jesus when I was lost, when I wasn't a Christian, and non-unbelievers should consider Jesus, but why should I now, as a believer, consider Jesus? Well, because the same consideration of Jesus and focusing in on him and giving your faith to him over from your dead life to a new life, that's the, that's the considering that saved you. Considering Jesus now and continuing to have that same faith in him is the same faith in Jesus that he's keeping you. Jesus is keeping you. You're not just off now doing whatever you want. He's saying, consider Jesus. Think about him. Cling to him. Understand, as it says in the last couple verses, uh, the last verse, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, it's Jesus that we're clinging to. It's Jesus that is our confidence. He's our only hope. There is nothing else in this world that you can hope on that will actually matter. Everything else will fail you. Everything. This church will eventually fail you in some way. I will fail you. Your spouse will fail you. Your kids will fail you. Your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors. They will fail you. Jesus will not. And so we have to consider him. We have to consider him as we just go about our lives in the little things and in the big things. And here's the reality of it. There's days I I consider Jesus really well. And then there's days that I don't. There's the times I'm in conscious decisions. We'll even not consider Jesus. And then there's times in just unconscious decisions like, man, I did not think about the gospel and that. And I don't literally mean stop and think, I'm going to consider Jesus now. I just mean like, are you living your life through what he's done in you? Yesterday, for example, my boys were playing basketball. I'm one of the coaches on a team, and we were down like by two points. We ended up coming back and winning the game. It was, it was awesome. We got the championship today at one, so in like an hour, right? And so if I quit really soon, you're in a wise because I got a high tail at St. Peter's. So the ball goes off the court. No one knows where the ball went. We're looking around for the ball, and the refs can't find it. It's our ball because we were the home team. We provided the game ball. And this kid just goes walking off of the ball, and I see it. And I'm like, hold on a second. The clock's running. We're down by two, and that's an $80 basketball. So I go, and I take the ball from the kid, and I'm not, like, mean about it by no means. But I wasn't like, hey, buddy, let me get my basketball back. I was like, hey, man, it's our ball. I took it, and I walked off. Some lady, as I'm walking back to the bench, goes, well, that's really ignorant to act that way over basketball. I said, no, actually, it's not, because we're down by two. They didn't stop the clock, and it's an $80 basketball, and those things walk off all the time at these tournaments. And I went and sat down on the bench and didn't think another thing of it. After the game, this dude makes a beeline for me. He's in my face, wanting to fight. And I'm like, what is your deal? So I'm like, very, very kind, very nice. And I tried to, like, diffuse the situation. It was not working until Ray, who I coach with. Some of you know Ray, six foot seven. Ray shows up. Things de-escalate really, really quick. He's, a, he's a, really quick. Like, you know, so, like, it de-escalated. We move on. We're talking to our team. This other dude walked. Oh, by the way, this guy says it was, it was his son. 
So um, we're talking to our team. Next thing I know, this other guy in my face wanting to fight. He's like, I heard you were yelling and cussing at my nephew. I'm like, what? Is this a family reunion at this basketball tournament? Why are you all here? No, I did. We done, done solved this. No, I did not. And I was super nice. And then someone, one of the other parents on our team said, I know you're not real confrontational and don't want, wouldn't want to fight, and you handled that really well. And I said, actually, I'm super confronta- confrontational and wanted to choke him. But <laughs> thank you to Jesus. And I, it's silly. It's, a, it's funny, right? But like, I didn't like stop in that moment and consider Jesus, but I did think about who I am in him. I'm called to be holy. I'm called to be with a heavenly calling. And th- what good is fighting for that? I want to make sure that I'm reflecting Jesus well. And what is my job as a servant in the house? To point people to Jesus. And so as I handled myself, not because of who I am in the flesh, trust me, that is not my normal reaction. It was Jesus. Because I want to point people to Jesus because I want to consider him. I want to consider who he is and what he's doing in, our, in my life. And I want to make sure that as I reflect Jesus well, that you guys are pointed to Jesus. Now, if I had gotten into a fight at a basketball tournament, I'm on Fox 2 News, right, last night at 9 o'clock, and local Metro East pastor gets into a fight, and, you know, a brawl breaks out. That's not pointing anyone to Jesus. Like, they say, you know, bad publicity is still like publicity. Like, I don't want that kind of smoke on us. Like, that's not good. Like, we got to point people to him. So do we consider him in all that we do? The Jewish people, they had missed it for centuries, they were looking to all these other systems and traditions and, and just things to, to try to look, be right with God. And they're like, no, look to Jesus. Look to, to him. Jeff already talked about it being Palm Sunday. There's another group of people who missed who Jesus was. I mean, he comes riding in on a donkey. They would have expected him to come riding in on a horse. They're waving these palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Like they're praising him. But in all reality, like Jeff already told us, they were just looking for another miracle. They saw him as a miracle man or he's going to overthrow Rome so we can reign supreme. No. They, they didn't consider him for who he really was. They didn't see him for who he really is. And so today as we sit here, I want you to really think about, do you consider Jesus? Are you just showing up here because it's the routine of what you do? You go into missional community because it's just the thing that you do. Because, I mean, we just finished that foundations class, and you might be thinking, man, well, I just thought you're telling me this is the, this is the more biblical way of doing it. Like, we go to missional community. It is. It's good. But if you, you can do Sunday school, small groups, missional community, community group, I don't care what you call it. And if you're considering Jesus, praise God. But if you're doing anything and just calling it church and any sense of the word, but you're not considering Jesus, what's the point? You're just a church attender. You're not pointing people to him. You're pointing people to your church and to your systems of how you do things. And so today, I want you to really think, how do you see yourself? How do you see Jesus? And have you considered him? I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. Maybe you're here today and you've stopped considering Jesus. You, you've just kind of walked away. You're like, man, I, I go through the motions. I'm here. I'm pretty faithful in my attendance and missional community, and we're not downgrading that. But maybe you've stopped considering Jesus. You're just considering all these other things. 
Maybe you're here today and you've never considered Jesus. You're not a Christian. You've never truly put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're just here for whatever reason that's drawn you. And I think the reason would be is that God is sovereign and he's called you here to this place for such a time as this to hear the gospel that Jesus Christ died for you while you were still a sinner, that you did nothing to earn it, and he rose again and conquered death and sin that you may, so that you may not have to taste eternal death. And the Bible just calls us to put our faith in him, to consider him. So today, would you consider him for the first time and put your faith in that Jesus who is worthy of all glory? Maybe today you just need to celebrate that you've been considering him. Come and consider him as you take communion. Like, don't just do this. It's just the routine of what we do. Come, consider him before you come up here that he died on the cross, that his body, his blood was shed for you. Consider that. And let's celebrate that he is not dead on, in a grave, that he is risen. And because of that, we are seen as holy if our faith is in him. Let me pray for us, and I'm going to read scripture concerning communion. God, you are good. You are holy. You are set apart. You are perfect. And Lord, we are not apart from you. And you knew that. You sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place. And Lord, we want to celebrate that. We want to point everyone and anything to you, Lord. Anything that we are doing that is not pointing people to you, Lord, convict our hearts, our souls, our minds. Show us, God, the error of our ways and help us to redirect back to you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is struggling and considering you, but they are adopted in as brothers and sisters with you, Jesus. God, I pray that you just redirect them, redirect me. God, I pray that if there's anyone here, Lord, has never given any thought to you, Jesus, that you will save them, that you will call them into a relationship with you, God, and you will save them from their sins, from the death that awaits them. So, Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's celebrate who Jesus is and consider him.